The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that this uh, weekend marks the beginning of celebrating Jesus' last Uh, week of life on earth. It begins with Palm Sunday, and it begins with what we know as, it's called the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so what I'd like to do this morning is kind of set the scene, get a little background of what's happening right before that triumphal entry so we understand uh, why Jesus did what he did riding on on a donkey uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 11. It's on page 1,670 in the Bibles we provide. John chapter 11. I think John 11, and I mean we sang it uh, in worship, the middle, the middle song about Lazarus. I think John 11 is kind of most well known for Jesus raising a guy that's been dead for four days in a tomb from the dead. Lazarus. Also, if you think about John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus, I think most famous words, and I think... As I've pondered it over the last week or so, two weeks preparing for this message, it it almost surpasses in my mind John 3.16. John 3.16, the gospel in a nutshell we often say, for God so loved the the world that he gave. But what about about John 11 verse 25? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. I mean, wow. Wow. That's the gospel right there. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to live forever. Amen. Shortest sermon I ever gave. Right? But but, but there's so much more to unpack, especially as we talk about uh, Holy Week and what's happening right before Jesus last week on earth. So we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to start in verse 45. I'm going to read several verses of all chapter 11 almost and go into chapter 12. So just sit back, read along with me, and let's, uh, let's consider what Jesus is doing. The plot to kill Jesus is the title of uh, beginning in verse 45. Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin or 70 ruling Jewish people made up of all the the chief priests and the the teachers of the law and and all the, the leaders. What are we accomplishing, they asked each other. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place or temple, our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own. But as high priest that year, he, he actually prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. Not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. Meaning you and me and all those who weren't Jews. To bring them together and make them one. So, here, listen here. So, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. 
When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing. They have to do that annually. Every year, all these Jews gather in Jerusalem before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? But the chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should report it so that they might arrest him. Those are the things that are leading up to this point now. Okay, so here we are, chapter 12, six days before the Passover. Jesus arrived at Bethany, a small village two or three miles away from Jerusalem, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with them. Whoa. Okay, I'm going to skip this section just to give you a background. This is what's happening. But meanwhile, if you go to verse 9, meanwhile, at the same time, here's a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. That's the backstory. Now, here we go to the triumphal entry. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, What? Hosanna, which means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the what? King of Israel. Jesus found a, a young donkey and sat upon it as is it written, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued... To spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So there we have it. The backstory, the triumphal entry. A lot to take in these verses, but suffice it to say this. Jesus was a wanted man. Wasn't he? He was wanted to, to be killed, and he's wanted also to be king. He's a wanted man by two different groups of people. And let me ask you this. When you were in school, whether it was American history class or watching history on television or seeing old photos, do you ever remember uh, the kind of welcome the military received after World War II? When it was VE Day, Victory in the European Theater Day in, in, in May of 1945, or VJ Day, Victory over Japan in September, August. You remember the confetti and the American flags? You might also remember this iconic picture of a sailor or a soldier kissing this, this girl. Like, I mean, come on, here's shouts and there's praises, and Gary T sitting in front, what would they say? Hooah, right? Heard, understood, acknowledged. Hooah. All right? And, and so, I mean, come on. Forget the 60s in, in Woodstock. I mean, every soldier's like, hey, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of nice, right? Uh, uh, but, 
but here we are. I heard as I was reading a little bit of history, two million people packed Times Square. Packed Times Square, you can imagine all the confetti, all the shouts, all the stuff. Welcome parades and victory parades, they really haven't changed over the generations, have they? I mean, one look at that and you know that that's a victory parade. Welcome home parades, victory parades, they're, they're very similar throughout all the generations throughout history. I mean, just think about it even to in our day. We don't really have, praise God, we have peace in this, in this country, right? But we have world championships, right? When's the last time the Tigers won? Super Bowl. Stanley Cups, Final Fours, all that kind of thing, right? I mean, you know the kind of, one look at that, those crowds, you know there's a victory celebration. Same thing in biblical days. When, when kings would contra, uh, c- uh, conquer other countries, when generals capture other cities, they didn't have paper back then, so what did they use? Palm branches. Palm branches to praise the victors. They're victorious. The, the king would come in and he, he'd be prancing around in a tall, mighty horse, right? Some of them would even have their captors, the smartest and brightest people of the nations that they captured, dragging in chains. See, we got them. And they would say, This is all about us, and we're celebrating this victory parade. Here we have it, then Jesus rides into Jerusalem, knowing all that's going to happen to him in that week. And you have these people following him because he did a miraculous thing in Lazarus, right? And they're spreading like wildfire, these rumors, and Jerusalem's already packed. So crowds of people are watching, and these palm branches are going, look at verse 13. They're shouting, Jesus You're the king of Israel. You know, one look at this celebration, you're going to know this is a victory parade. Yet there's one odd thing, really. It kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. If you think about it and you see this, this vision of what's happening, what is it? Jesus is on a donkey. He's on a donkey. It's not a fancy chariot. It's not a tall, mighty horse prancing around. It's not been in war. It's not impressive. It's a donkey. Docile donkey. And if we just think about this, focus on why a donkey? Why, why does this represent something victorious about Jesus? If you go to look at verse 16, verse 16 says, The disciples, they didn't understand all these things. They didn't understand all these things until when? After he was glorified. After his resurrection, when the Holy Spirit came. Brothers and sisters of Christ, do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, you do. And so do I. And so we get the privilege of understanding and remembering what this means. You see, the disciples, their attention wasn't really on a donkey. It was on Jesus' miracles and the palms waving and the shouts going up, celebrating, you know, Jesus, you're going to be victorious. I know it's for me. This is awesome. I'm glad I'm with you. Right? That's what they're thinking. And we, I mean, every, every time we have Palm Sunday, we focus on, on palms. Well, what if we just focus some time on this, on a donkey? It reminds me when I was uh, preparing my message as a song. I don't know if it's really a good song or not, but it's, I just hear clip, it's clips of it. It's, like, it's all about the bass, about the bass. You ever heard that? You know, if I like, you know what I'm preaching about today? You know, it's all about the donkey, about the donkey. Uh, just a little insight of what pastors go through, okay? So it's just the strangeness of this donkey really should capture our attention for just a moment. Why? Well, you could say, yeah, Jesus had to do it because it's a prophecy, okay, Tony? Yep, you're right. 
Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, says it this way. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Yeah, Jesus had to come in on a donkey because it's prophesied. But why? Why is that? Jesus knew the reason that he came to this earth, the reason that he's riding into Jerusalem, it's all about, not the donkey, about defeating enemies. Because he knew there are sizable enemies, sizable enemies, an important battle to be won, and he needed to do something about it. And so, if you have your bulletins put out, you, you, or in front of you, the sermon outline, you'll see that we're going to go through this list of Jesus' enemies, starting with the Romans. The Romans who conquered Israel had soldiers all over the place. They're hoping, uh, the, the people of Israel hoping, you know what? These soldiers are going to go when Jesus comes. Right? It's going to be, we're going to return these glory days of King David 900 years ago. When we were in power, we were in control. But the Romans, they're, they're, they're ruling by fear and by force. Yet this man, he's a miracle worker. He can do things. I'm going to put my faith in this one. Can, can the Romans be Jesus' enemies? Of course they can. I mean, he's a Jew. And so, actually the Romans are the one that led him to the cross and crucified him. So yes, the Romans were an enemy. But even more. Because it, that, that list just starts there. What about his own people? The own, his own Jewish religious leaders. That Sanhedrin, the, the ruling council of the 70 that got together. Just a, during this victory parade. Jesus is healing people. He's doing incredible things. You know, the gossip is spreading like wildfire who this person is. Yet behind the scenes, can you imagine what these religious leaders were like? They're not happy. They're not happy at all. Take a look at verse 47 and 48 of chapter 11. Verses 47 and 48, they're asking themselves, what are we accomplishing? Here this man's performing these miraculous signs. We go on like this. Guess what? The Romans are going to come. They're going to take our temple. They're going to take our nation. Chapter 12, verse 19. Take a look at that. They ask the question right at the end. See, this is getting us nowhere. Look, the whole world has gone after him. Are they happy? Not at all. Because their next step is, okay, this isn't working. What are we going to do? Let's go get one of his own. One from his inner circle. Let's have him betray him. Who's that? Judas Iscariot. Not only that, we're going to convince the crowds to pick Barabbas and not him. To yell out, crucify him. We're going to falsely accuse him. We're going to get the Romans actually to, to crucify him. Because he is committing blasphemy. He's letting people worship him. He's making himself equal to God, breaking their own highest Jewish law. So yeah, this second group of people, his enemies, are the religious Jewish leaders. But let's think about it a little more. Because that only starts this list, and we're not going to stop there, because there's an even greater enemy. And it's what's behind what the religious, are do, the religious people are doing and saying. What's behind that? How about jealousy? Jealousy. These people are following Jesus, not them. They want to be in charge. They want to be in control. They want the authority. What about fear? If you go to the end of chapter 12, you look at verse 42, it actually says that some of this group believed. 
chapter 12, verse 42. Some of them believed, but they were fearful. They were fearful that they would get kicked out of the synagogue. So they're believing, but they're hiding in their belief. They're afraid of all these things going on, that they would lose their privileged, privileged position. They're in fear. There are haters out there. There's hatred. Jesus is telling them, repent. Repent and believe the good news. They don't want to repent any more than we want to repent. I'd stand up here all the time saying, repent, repent, you're a sinner. And that's all you heard, right? Thank God that we understand that we are sinners and that that's why we're here. Amen? But there's haters. There's greed going on. I mean, right at this time, can you imagine all the money changers? This Holy Week, what's he going to do? He's going to go into the temple. He's going to over, uh, you know, overturn the money changers. I mean, this political system that's in place and the religious, all the kinds of schemes to make money. There's greed going on. There's anger going on. They're upset. Jesus is letting people worship him. So if they're upset, there's all these feelings and emotions that are behind what they're doing. And if you look at that list, can't we all relate to that? Can't we all relate? I mean, how many times, or when, I'll ask this question, when was the last time you were resentful or envious when someone got something that you didn't? Yesterday? This past week? When, when is it about greed? When was the last time you wanted more than you needed? <laughs> wanted more than you needed. Ouch. How about this? Anger or hating. The Bible actually says these words in 1 John 3.15. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Yikes. Come on. All these things come from deep within our hearts, the dark places in our minds and our hearts. And we can't stop from being infected by our own self, but also by the world. But then also this. Because you and I both realize we can't see it, but there's a battle going on. Truly. A demonic world that we know about. And who's behind all that? Satan. Satan is the one who tempts us to give in to these ugly enemies of Jesus. Behind all of that, Satan is God's chief enemy. He was there from the get-go, from the garden. He's there. Satan is throughout his, this whole week of Jesus' life. Really, there's one more enemy to name, though. And, it, and the Bible says it this way, that it's our last and greatest enemy. And I was preparing for this message. I, I came across this cartoon. It, it was put uh, in 2010, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and uh, GPS, how many of you have any GPS is in your car? You know, not anymore because iPhones are like kind of taking the place. But the GPS thing would say, hey, you know, in a quarter mile, you're going to make a right. Uh, you're going to get on this highway. Go left, go right. And it says in below, the inevitable navigation system. It's in a cemetery, tombstones. One is freshly dug. And can you imagine? You have arrived at your destination. Now that comic strip uses humor to open up our eyes to a reality. What's the reality? We're all going to die. Right? There's not any one of us that are going to live forever. We're all going to die someday at God's appointed time. And death is referred to as the last and greatest enemy of the scriptures. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 says it this way. After he, that's Jesus, has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. When's he going to do that? As we celebrate Holy Week. He's referring to Satan and the demons and all, all the principles that are, that, are, that are evil. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy is death. You see, death wasn't something that God created. No, it's a consequence for sin. It's a consequence for all the times that we have greed and anger and hatred and jealousy in our hearts. It's the reason why he would ride in on a donkey, carrying all that with him to the cross. So you understand who Jesus' real enemies are? It's not, it's not so much the Roman soldiers and the religious leaders, but it really is against every enemy that attacks us. That he went to battle against the dark places in our own hearts, in our own minds. And his war was ultimately against our greatest enemy. Death. And it's punishment. And how does Jesus go into battle? How does he go into battle? On a donkey. On a donkey, which is supposed to really symbolize peace. Not war. An animal of peace that conveyed humility and gentleness and not bloodshed. But even now, there's a spiritual war that battles for our souls, right? And sometimes that can flow over into bloodshed, into fight, into arguments. And if you think about as we celebrate this Palm Sunday, why Jesus went in as the Prince of Peace to establish peace between me and God. So if God was just over the other side of this cross, right? That's why I can go to God. That's why I'm righteous. Because he rode into Jerusalem carrying all that with him. And then you think, did he resort to violence? Not at all. Can you think about the blood that dripped off of him when he was beaten, when he was scourged almost to an inch of his life? It wasn't the blood of the Romans. It wasn't blood of the Pharisees. The people that yelled crucify him. It was his own innocent blood and as i think about that i think about the sin in my own life if i'm a sinner raise your hand if you're a sinner well then you're also an enemy of god and to think about what he did on the cross you know i went i've only saw i think i've seen, said this to you many times but i've only seen the passion of the christ one time and i said i'm never gonna need to see that again because when i saw that i understood that all my sins, that Jesus had to go undergo through all that for me. Tony Bowes. And I'm so thankful that he did. That he would ride in to Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday to go to the cross for me. Came across a legend of a donkey. Uh, where? In a catalog for Bronner's. Now you probably know that more than I do. Uh, you know, this Christmas wonderland. I've only been there one time. But do you know that they sell Palm Sunday donkeys? They commemorate Jesus' Palm Sunday. And here's a legend. Here's what the catalog says. Legend tells us that the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday followed him to Calvary. Or Golgotha, the place called the Skull. Followed him to Calvary. Appalled by the sight of Jesus on the cross, the donkey turned away but would not leave. It said that the shadow of the cross fell upon the shoulders and back of a donkey. So if you ever look at an aerial view of a donkey or see this picture, you can kind of imagine, here's a cross of a donkey. Right on the, 
right on the back of a donkey is a cross marking. And then it goes on to say, it's found on many donkeys today, and it reminds us as a testimony of the love and devotion of a humble little donkey. Well, of course, when pastors read catalogs and stuff, they want to put their theological spin on it. So I would say it this way. Actually, I would say the cross marking found on a donkey isn't so much about the humble devotion of a donkey as it is about the humble devotion of who? That's the Sunday school answer about Jesus. That he would ride into Jerusalem for one purpose only. Think about this. He's riding into Jerusalem to make the victory parade for us come true. Amen? He was riding in to say, I'm the Prince of Peace. And all that fear and all that greed and all that hatred that we have in our life, it's going to be taken care of. When? On the cross. So when darkness covers the land, when there's moans coming from Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you understand? The enemies of Jesus are saying, yes, he's going to die. This is it. We won. Jesus, you're not. And yet Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for they they don't know what they're doing. But you know what happens next, don't you? I mean, here's the Christian story. And it's true, and it's real. We know of a morning that shattered the darkest places of sin and evil, don't we? We know of a tomb that's been rolled away. To understand that the debt has been paid. It is finished, Jesus said, once and for all. That's taken care of for you, for me. And that's something to to cheer about, isn't it? That victory parade is ours. And it starts on Palm Sunday. He goes to the cross. And I want you to think about this for just a minute. There's an eternal victory parade that's happening right now. We can't see it. But for any one of you who've lost a loved one recently or years ago, and you understand that this separation, yeah, it is a separation from who you love. But can you imagine what they're doing right now? They're celebrating. I mean, and think about this. The song's going to, what we're going to sing is going to, it's like when we have praises, we pull down heaven. We pull down heaven and think about every time we pray, every time we sing here, this is what happens in a joyful assembly. I want you to look at uh, Revelation 5. It's on the screen. And think about this victory parade. Then I looked up. I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 in a loud voice they were saying. You know what? Just read it with me. What were they saying? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory in praise. Yes, that's the victory of praise that's going on in heaven. That's the victory parade that we have now. Think about it. Every time we sing, every time we pray, you know, it's like who in heaven now is like, this is it. This is truth. It's happening. Every, every action that we do to show our hands and feet of Jesus to one another, it's like the first people that had palms waving and cheering. So do you have your palms? Do you have them? If you do, hold them up. And if you do, don't just hold them up. Wave. Wave. And guess what? As you stand up, think about this. Stand up. Wave them. Now, this is different. You're at a world championship game, right? And you're celebrating. Hey, they're the champion. Is what you're doing right now 
so much more important. I mean, that stuff is for earthly stuff, but we're talking about eternal things. Yeah, the victory is yours. That's what we're going to sing. It's about Jesus, but because it's about Jesus, it's for us too. The victory is yours, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing.